Welcome back everybody to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know that we cover two episodes of the show and today... Today, we have arrived at the <laughs> monumental fourth season of Legend of Korra. It's been a long journey so far, but like at the same time, it, it feels like it's gone by fast, but like also it feels like a long time. Because we've covered three seasons, which kind of like in my brain makes it seem longer than Avatar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I For me, every time I rewatch Avatar and Legend of Korra, I feel like Avatar goes by a lot slower. Not in a bad way, but just like it feels longer to me than Legend of Korra. And I think that's because it's episodic. Whereas Legend of Korra, as we've established many times, is, you know, it's serialized. So I feel like the stories and the seasons go by faster because it's all just one big story instead of individual, um, you know, adventures, week of, you know, monster of the week type uh, show. But yeah, no, I can see why. Because like, it does, since there are four seasons as opposed to three, I can see why it feels like it has been longer for you. But it always feels so fast, like it goes by so fast <laughs> when I rewatch the show. Yeah, the individuals, the individual episodes speed by uh, pretty quickly because they cover so much ground. You know, we've talked about how we in Korra, the episodes are so much denser because with shorter seasons, mm -hmm. fewer episodes per season, they are covering a lot of ground in every episode. It can even seem kind of rushed. So, yeah, it's just a lot of material we've covered so far. But we've arrived today at episode one of season four after all these years. Uh, the episode is written by none other than Joshua Hamilton, uh, directed mm -hmm. by Colin Heck. Now, the, the same crew we had for season three stays on for the rest of season four, right? Like the same kind of rotation of writers and directors? Yes, with a couple sprinklings of not new people, but just like people that are kind of sprinkled throughout Life of Korra. Katie Matilla is one of them. So <laughs> Yeah, we love we love her work. I think the last time we saw her was uh Old Wounds. And before mm -hmm. that, in yep. in she was the one who did uh the beach in Avatar, right? Didn't she do the yes, beach? And the then beach and the tale of Zuko. The tale of Zuko. So yeah, she's she's a, a real a real gemstone. So I can't wait to get to, to her episodes. Um mm -hmm. the episode is of course animated by Studio Mir, and the episode aired October 3rd, 2014. And the IMDB rating of After All These Years is a kind of unjust but kind 8.5 this is this is kind of underrated this is a kind of a nominal rating for an episode it this is. big yeah and i mean not to like spoil anything but out of all of the opening episodes of legend of Korra seasons this is probably my favorite season opener honestly like I just love the way that it resets the board and like we get to see these characters, you know, three years older and they're all in different places. Like it's, it's a great breath of fresh air, which is funny because that's the name of the opening episode of season three. I was about to say, we already uh, used that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we couldn't use it again. Um, what if they called I, it, I what if they really called it another breath of fresh air? <laughs> another one <laughs> another one <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes i do love this episode um 
Yeah, so I think 8.5 is too low, personally. Yeah, wait till it's okay. Well, you and I will rectify that in probably about yes. a half hour from now. We'll, we'll have a very Our different... word is law. Yeah, it's true. IMDb, move over. Uh, well, in that case, why don't you take us away with those fun facts, Amanda? All righty, then. Our, we've only got two for this one. There weren't a lot for some reason. But um, our first fun fact is that the logo on the floor during Korra's cage fight is the same one that the Earth Rumble 6 in the Blind Bandit had. So, like, it's not the same place, obviously. It's, like, in a seedy little town, whereas Earth Rumble 6 was in the middle of a high-class, like, society. But I love that, like, cage fighting is such a big thing in Earthbending. (laughs) Like, it makes sense. It's such, like, a rough, you know, element. But I couldn't help but think as I was, like, re-watching this episode, like, what if they had something similar like the earth bending battles, um, the cage fights, but like with water bending, like I can't help but imagine like, what if they're on like a flat, you know, sheet of ice surrounded by a moat and they're using the water to fight each other. And if they, you know, knock each other off this sheet of ice, then they're out. And it's like, you know, you could do so much. It'd be so cool. I want to see an, a water bending cage. Fight. You just want to see like American gladiator or like American ninja, but in the taking place in the water tribe. Yes, I just want everything to be in the water. <laughs> why do I imagine in why do I imagine in the uh Fire Nation that it would basically be like um what what are those shows? What's that show? Is it called like Knockout with like them running the obstacle course? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. it's like knockout, but everything is on fire. <laughs> Gosh. It's like a giant circus. They can call it yeah, burnout. Okay. Just a great idea off the top of my head. (laughs) Put it in the next generation. Um, Put it on the list. Yeah. Right. Um, And then our second fun fact this is this was very surprising to me as someone that has, like I said, rewatched this show a million times. This is Kai's last speaking role in the series. Now, he still shows up throughout the series, (laughs) (laughs) but he does not speak after this. And one of the reasons why is that, uh, this is the second part of the fun fact, Kai's voice actor, Skylar Brigman, had to redo all of his lines during the episode's post-production because his voice had changed so much because he was going through puberty. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if that's why they, like, that can't be why they reduced it. Because, like, <laughs> that'd be so mean. Okay, your voice is changing. We're going to cut your lines completely. Okay, but hold on. Like yourself. Number one, he had to redo all of his lines, which, like, kind of makes sense. It would be kind of weird if he still sounded like a 12-year-old kid when he's, like, 16 or whatever yeah. old he's supposed to be. Yeah. But I think this... he's supposed to be 15, because I think he was 12 in uh, the third season. But then on top of that, I was really looking forward to seeing the whole development of, like, the Kai and Jinora thing here. <laughs> The ship. I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. So it's time to scratch that off of my notes. <laughs> I don't even know because, like, I've made no secret that I'm not a huge fan of Janora as a character. I love Kai, not a big fan of Janora. So I don't even know what their actual ship name is. Is it Kainora or is it Jai? <laughs> <laughs> I would assume it's Kainora. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like Jai. <laughs> I don't know. But ja- I do love like all the different ships and like the different names that people come up with. And like usually there is like one singular name that people come up with for a ship that just but then there's like a million others anyway. <laughs> Shipping culture. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that like the entire buildup of Kai and Janora's relationship in season three is basically for nothing because this is the last time this kid's even gonna talk, so 
<laughs> yeah, and the, one of the last things he says is, yeah, Janor and I are doing great, so you don't need to worry. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, well, Jeez. thanks, Kai. I'm glad everything's going great. We won't worry. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah, and that's it for our fun facts. Not a lot, but we got a lot more for the next one, so it's all good. Bounces out. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things immediately jumping in on this episode is just the main thing, the core of what this episode is, is the time jump. This is just a big mm-hmm. catching up with Team Avatar after three years. And honestly, the series needs this. The series needed oh, yeah. the time jump. We've been operating on the, like, it's been a year. It's been two weeks since this happened. Mm-hmm. Wait, was the jump between seasons one and two even a year? Or was it six months? Uh, between one and two, it was literally like a, like a couple months. I think it was like two or three months. Like it was not big at all. Good lord, man! No wonder, no wonder Cora's got PTSD. She's doing all this stuff. Literally every this, other this week. Is the roughest, this is the roughest six months of her life. Honestly, <laughs> like poor girl. <laughs> somebody needs to go, somebody needs to go viral and just be like, leave Cora alone. <laughs> Literally, you bastards, leave her alone. She needs a writer, right? She she needs a break. Well, luckily, she's getting one. She's getting one. If I mean, if I was terrorized by a terrorist, kidnapped by like like beaten by a chaos god, and kidnapped by a bunch of just insurgent anarchists in six months, I'd probably run away too. So. Mm-hmm. yeah honestly completely understandable so but, so, so, the, so the time jump is a great a great element yeah absolutely and let me tell you when i first watched because I, I think i had mentioned this but season three and season four were well half of season three i should say was put online first and then was released on you know nick on tv like months later so i saw all of these episodes first online and when I saw the trailer for season four, um, it came out literally like a day after season three ended. So we were like, excuse me, (laughs) like what? Um, And so when I saw the trailer, one of the first things that we see in the trailer is three years later. And then we see, you know, adult Cora, because they are adults now, they're in their twenties. Right. Um, And I was just, it was like that moment in Endgame where, you know, you have this big opening scene and then you have the five years later. I remember everyone just gasping in my theater when I saw that. And that was, it was me. I was gagged. I was like, three years? Like, I figured it'd be a year, but like three? Are you kidding me? So, yeah, it was a huge jump. And I'm, like you said, I think it was the right thing to do. It was the perfect move to make um, for these characters to reset the board and, put them all in different places and doing different things. And yeah, I really like that decision. I think it was a really good one. Well, then the fact that when you make a time jump, you know, speaking from a writer's standpoint, you, it gives you so much of a benefit because you, it allows you to do kind of a bit of rewriting. So mm-hmm. number one, it allows you to close up a lot of things that can be purely healed by time alone. Like right. the whole leaving open to the spirit portals and all of a sudden there's mm-hmm. all the vines and all the spirits and everywhere and it's a giant mess and literally Cora just goes well you guys just figure out how to deal with it and then we never <laughs> come back to it. it yeah we <laughs> never come back to it in season three and then the season four starts and we're like hi everybody three years have gone by well in the meantime everyone's learned to live with it <laughs> mm-hmm 
Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I couldn't care less about the vines and the spirit world, so I'm all for that. Same. Just kind of letting it go. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, people have to adapt, and we don't need to see that happen. We can just yep. infer off those three years that that's what happened. Yep, and the time um, skip is perfect for that. And in the meantime, it allows yeah. you to move character development that you want to see forward while leaving behind any traits that you're like i'm tired of writing the character this way i want to make them a little different mm -hmm. but i don't care to write some zuko level metamorphosis arc for them just to change who they are and i don't really want to hit <laughs> i don't want to hit them with lightning or infuse their blood with quicksilver just to have to do it so yeah three years later they're different <laughs> yeah it's fine it's all fine <laughs> yeah now i love it yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And I love the way that um, there's been this huge culture shift as well, where Korra is, I mean, all it took was three near-death experiences, and Korra's all of a sudden everybody's good graces. They got a statue of her in the park. Everybody misses her. Like, Yeah, when the world needed her most, she disappeared. <laughs> oh, no. She's the, what is the quote from Dark Knight? Oh, my God. She's like, the hero we need but not the one that we want or something like that she's not the hero we need she's the one that we deserve exactly yeah i mean admittedly yeah. court kind of is the one that the world deserves at this point have you seen this world like the state of the world there in cora no yeah the state of the place yeah yeah but you know you know who hasn't changed though is my, my your boy my man mako my man. <laughs> it's been three yep. years and Mako has still done nothing wrong. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yep, you are Mako stand to the end. <laughs> that I am. That I am. So yeah, no. Mako Mako is doing okay. He's just the man's just not where he wanted to be in life, but he has moved up. Like he went mm -hmm. from beat cop to detective, but <laughs> he's not doing much detecting lately <laughs> in season four. <laughs> no. No, no, not not at all. In fact, he is not with, well, I guess he kind of is, but not really with the police force anymore because he is now the personal bodyguard, like hand-picked bodyguard for the new prince of the Earth Kingdom, Prince Wu. And we'll get to him in a second, my man. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, and he, it's so perfect because like, well, for one thing, I I think that Mako, and I think we both agree on this, is that Mako is at his best when he is playing the straight man to crazy characters, yep. like not necessarily crazy, but like, you know, to zany characters like his brother or like Prince Wu. Um, when he's playing that straight man character, it really is such a great foil. And I think that's where the most comedic possibility and like personality comes out of him. Mm -hmm. And so like what little he has, <laughs> he's not, does not have a lot, but <laughs> it is when he's like suffering, I think that's when he's the funniest. Like when he's just, you know, you know what? That, yeah. Mako, Mako isn't the same. He's consistent. And, and, yes. and any woman will tell you that's what she wants in her man is for is consistency. And my man Mako has it in spades. The man does not change. Yep. But you know he what? very much stuck. But you know what? That kind of explains kind of why Mako, he was a likable character, but 
kind of at his dullest and dumbest in season one because they hadn't really used him as a foil for anybody. He wasn't the foil for, you know, Bolin's crazy antics or Varric or Prince Wu or anybody or Nkora's crazy mm-hmm. antics. Um, but, yes. but like he, <laughs> but he, he was just the heartthrob in season one and it wasn't a very good fit for him. It wasn't a good look. Yeah, the standoffish, hot bad boy that like yeah. is kind of there. Like, yeah, but girls get to fawn over him. Like that's boring. Yeah, and that's why season one was the worst as far as like relationship stuff. Not that season two was much better, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. At least you felt some way about it. You felt anger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <it>. <laughs> that that <laughs> is the first true. Season, you're just like, ugh, why? But. uh yeah, no, I honestly, I think that Mako is at his best in season two when he's, you know, being full detective mode with Varric yep. and like sussing him out. And then in season four when he's, you know, being Wu's bodyguard because those two combos are just like chef's kiss. Well, <laughs> but, speaking of Varric, uh, Varric's back, by the way. <laughs> yeah, very briefly in this opening episode. Um, he is a huge story arc, though. Like this is the most Varric you're going to see in the whole show. So it's like, yes. Are we sure that season three was the best? If I'm hearing right, it sounds like season four just might be the best. Well, look, I'll tell you something. And I, I, I think I even said this when we were doing season three, that yes, overall season three is considered by most Avatar slash Legend of Korra fans to be the best overall season, the closest to Avatar. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that, but I think that the first half of season four is like the best that Korra has to offer, period. Like literally really? the first seven episodes, because it's it's a uh, 13 episodes, yeah. I believe. The first seven or so episodes are like perfect. They to me are up to the standards of the best of Avatar. And I think it's just the setup of this whole season. And the end of season three is fantastic. So like, it's very inversed for me. Hmm. The first half of season three is it's good. It's really good. And especially after season two, but (laughs) it's a little slow. It drags on a little bit, but then the second half is like where it all gets really, really good. It's the opposite with this season. I think the first half is phenomenal stuff. And then the second half is still really good. It just doesn't quite match up to the phenomenal first half. So Mm. it is weird. Like if you took the end of season three, beginning of season four, mash them together, you get the best of Legend of Korra, honestly, and just throw in some Amon and perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Just make Amon come back. Yes, God, please. Just have have it be that Kavira is secretly working or answering to Amon. And like, there you go. Perfect. (laughs) Like trying to revive him, be like Dr. Frankenstein. (laughs) Yes. Why not? We've got a bunch of other magic bullshit going on. (laughs) Why not bring it back zombifying people? Well, you know, speaking of characters uh, coming back who are very different uh, than they were, you know, Mako may be the same, but Bolin is back and he is a quite a different role than we've seen him in because he's working for Kuvira, the great uniter. As she's on her mission. And my man Bolin, the guy's got some responsibilities now. Yeah, like out of all of the main core group of Legend of Korra, outside of Korra herself, I think that Bolin is the one that changes and grows the most this season. Mm -hmm. He has a very, very tangible arc of like going from pretty much purely the comic relief and heart, like, but not in the way that Sokka was, where he was integral to the team, you know? He was just kind of the sweet guy that you know, was funny. Um, I'm talking about Bolin, not right, Sokka. Right, right. <laughs> but 
Um, but this season, I feel like he really steps into his own and matures a ton and becomes much more than that. Um, wow. And, you know, he's, yeah, he's able to read the room. He's not, you know, quipping and making jokes at inappropriate times like he would in he's, previous he's seasons. He's not just there like, to, like, break the tension. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that he starts to finally realize that, like, yeah, he is an adult now. And that adult, that he lives in an adult world that is run by corrupt, awful people. And he happens to be working for one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> and so that starts to really weigh on him halfway through the season. And it's it's a really cool thing to see him realize that, like, yeah, I'm... I'm trying to do a good thing, but like going about it a terrible, horrible way. And I don't even realize like that's how naive he is. Um, but seeing him kind of, you know, grow into that is is so cool. I love his arc this season. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to see with Bolin. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, have to, I have to comment this. Bolin at the train stop sees uh sees Opal because she mm -hmm. and uh Kai are coming in to try to help the town. They don't do a very good job at it. The poor kids But what is it? Straight up, what is it with the women of Legend of Korra wanting all their boyfriends to be cowboys? <laughs> it was oh it was Korra in season uh uh was it two seasons season two of avatar banging amako's desk wanting him to pretty much like throw his job responsibilities aside to go run off and just be a wild man Don't let me get in the way of you writing tickets i'm just trying to save the world right and now here's opal and opal's just like hey can you mind would you mind going a wall from your military outfit to help me with this and he's like uh no like, there's no consequences for that <laughs> right like what's it like i mean okay i get it like apparently all the women of legend of Korra are all gypsy souls and like all of our men are like men in uniform it's just not a great mm. match up there <laughs> apparently not and i didn't even notice that until you mentioned it but yes no <laughs> you guys gotta compromise work on us talk about what you want in your relationship and your careers and work it out yeah they need to they need to have sit down and have serious conversations about like the directions they're going in life like like mako mm. and bolin were like we're chasing those pensions <laughs> the, that government money <laughs> and they're and the women of avatar just like but don't you want to like fly and like live on an iceberg or in the mountains <laughs> somewhere and just live off the land <laughs> not really <laughs> no yeah, no, I think they uh, they need to get on the same page over there. <laughs> but you know, speaking of uh, speaking of those heartthrobs uh, <laughs> and those relationship dynamics, there's a guy that you've been talking about for a couple of seasons now, looking for because you've mentioned him before, and here he is mm -hmm. finally in the form of Prince Wu. You might want to take the stage on this one and talk about the <laughs> yeah. second love of your life here. <laughs> I love my baby girl, Prince Wu. Um, <laughs> he, he is baby girl and I love him. Um, yes, no, like I love everything about this character. And the reason that I love him so much is because it would have been so easy for them to mess him up and make mm -hmm. him so unlikable, so annoying and not in a charming way, which I think is where they really like hit the nail on the head is that yeah, he is annoying and he is kind of an asshole, but like he's so funny and so charming that you just like see past it, you know, like you're you're willing to let it slide because he's just so well written and so well voice acted and animated. 
that you're like, damn, I love this guy. Like, yeah, he's total douchebag, but like, I can't help but love him. And uh, yeah, I think that his, um, like his pairing with Mako, like I said, Mako works best when he's mm -hmm. the straight man to a crazy character. And this to me is the ultimate proof of that. Like I knew they knew what they were doing when they put these two together because mm -hmm. they know that that's when Mako's at his best. And I think that having, you know, Mako have to toady or what is it called? Toting, right? When you're like groveling to um, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. yeah, yeah. Toadying to royalty, basically. I just love that. Um, and like, I don't know. It's and he you know what it is? It's because, and I think that this was intentional, like this hasn't been confirmed by the writers or anything, but if I had to guess, I think that they took direct inspiration from Cusco in Emperor's New Groove because they are the exact same character with the exact same arc and even a similar design. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, wow, you put these two side by side. What's the difference between these two? They're the same picture. <laughs> well, you know, I speak, absolutely love him. Speaking of speaking of things that are kind of the same picture, though, you know what kind of tracks? As I was watching, as I was watching Prince Wu, and as I'm watching your eyes light up just talking about him, you know, it kind of reminds me. I mean, if he could be played by in real life, who Taika Waititi? It's the yes. same energy as Taika Waititi when he's on screen. Okay. You're absolutely right. Like younger Taiko Titi would have ate this role and left no right. Oh. Where he's like <laughs> even older Taiko Titi. He's kind <laughs> of insufferable, but in like a charming way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's super hyperactive and funny. Yes, um, but you know, now that you mentioned that, actually, literally, what just popped into my head, you know, who Taiko would have been even better at playing who? in Legend of Korra, Varric. Like right, yes, that's great. <laughs> oh my god, yes, please. If we get a live action Legend of Korra Netflix, please hire Taika Waititi to be Varric. I will do anything. <laughs> I will stay or do anything. We're going on. Oh we're god, going on record. Be... We're starting the petition. We should go on the petition and start an actual petition <laughs> and put it out on the podcast. Change.org. Yes, change.org. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, it'd be incredible. He would be all for it too. Like that is just his type of character. I love it. Oh my man, gosh. Love that man. That would be <laughs> if perfect. I, if I run into Taika Waititi while I'm in Australia and when I visit New Zealand, I am going to pitch him that. Be like, Taika. Let me tell you about this little show called Legend of Korra and this character called Varric. I think you might be very interested. If, if, knowing him, he would probably interrupt you halfway through and he'd be like, I love Legend of Korra. There's this character <laughs> called, and, and hear me out, hear me out. If if they ever make a live action one, I would love to play. And then you're both going to say Varric yes. at the same time. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, incredible. <laughs> there's but the yes, fan. it would be great there's, for Prince too. <laughs> uh, it was a nice dream. It was a nice dream while it lasted, uh, wasn't it? The dream of going to Australia, yeah. running into Taika Waititi in like a random coffee shop, <laughs> talking Legend of Korra, both agreeing he should play Varric. You get <laughs> you get cast as Korra. Like, it's a dream come true. You cast this court. That would never happen. But grow up a dream. <laughs> right? As long as we're I'll be Julie. Dreaming. I'll be his assistant. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yes. Oh my god. Your dream is for Taika Watiti to be dressed as Varric shouting, Julie, do the thing. <laughs> do and the then thing. it's you. And yep, and you do the me. thing. 
Lord. That is beck and call. Whatever you want, sir. These are they, we've we've got you we've got you completely unraveled here. We we've got you exposed. Yes. You only have two types, and that they are literally your two princes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you want to date Amanda? You either got to be Prince Zuko or Prince Wu. There are no other options. Yes. Choose your fighter. I love that. Emo king or baby girl? <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> At least you have a firm type. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of women who know exactly what they want, how about Kuvira, though? How about Kuvira? Or as I like to call her, yeah. Cougar Vera. I might just have a new favorite girl here. I was about to say, I knew that the second that I found out that you had the hots for Lynn, I was like, oh boy, wait till Kuvira comes up. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so here's the thing about Kavira, <laughs> without giving anything away. I am very split on her as just like a character because on the one hand, I feel like she's a very effective, very scary villain, like antagonist. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I don't think she is a very well-realized character, okay. if that makes sense. Right. Like I'm comparing her and I, Again, as I always do, I'm going to compare her to Amon because he is top tier villain mm. for me. Um, with Amon, not only did we have this like incredibly effective, terrifying villain, you know, antagonist in the form of the masked man, you know, taking people's bending away. Mm-hmm. But once we unveiled him and once we actually learned about his backstory, you know, that he was a boy from the Southern Water Tribe. He grew up with an abusive father and a younger brother and like all of this, it suddenly like made him into a character, not just a villain, but a character Mm -hmm. that we, you know, I cared about at least. Um, And so like that was, that's the difference. Kavira doesn't really get that. Like there are hints of it throughout this season that yeah, there's more to her than what meets the eye, but ultimately she is just kind of- Yeah, but what meets the the eye is pretty good, so- yeah okay (laughs) um but uh yeah she's more she's much more in line with like ozai than say azula or zuko where Mm -hmm. their actual characters ozai was just kind of the big terrifying baddie and that's really what she is she's effective but not much of a character well it makes me interested to see just how much how much of that plays through because you while you could be right i feel like we only have one little she has one little edge on I was about to say Ozai, but now as I'm thinking about it, she might have a little bit more of an edge on the other core villains. And it's simply that when we are introduced to her, unless she has some big dramatic past that's going to get revealed, which if it does, like, I'm getting kind of tired of, like, everybody in... the the, all the villains (laughs) and Korra having some big secret past. Like, Mm -hmm. at least we already know where she comes from. She doesn't have some weird, dark, secret origin, at least none that I know of. We know where she was. We know where she started. Um, You cleared up for me. I was super confused, like, (laughs) who this character was. I remembered remembered that she was when they were, like, at the end of season three, they were like, hey, Kuvira. And she turned, and they were like, yeah, Kuvira, uh, whose name is Kuvira, uh, do this thing. And then she was like, okay. And they're like, thanks, Kuvira. Like, they couldn't have made it any more obvious we were supposed to remember her name. But you had to remind right, me, yeah. <laughs> you had to remind me that this, she went all the way back to when they were in Zalfu, and you were like, that guard, remember her. And I'm like, oh, because I kind of forgot that where she was <laughs> yeah, originally. It's- 
yeah, and I told you, like, watch for this particular guard. Like, she will come back and be very important. And then they make it so obvious that she's going to be the villain in the next season with that, you know, final scene that we, like, couldn't be more obvious. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and as for yeah, you, no, as for I, you, Kavira, we'll be watching your career with great interest. <laughs> right. Yeah, sue you into her. <laughs> but, <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But, yeah, no. And again, like, she's a very effective villain. I just... With what we find out about her, I really wish that she was given more of an Amon treatment where we got to see more of her backstory. Just because, you know me, like I'm all for irredeemable villains. But if you present a character and we're meant to like kind of root for them in a way, like because here's the thing about her, like I like with Amon, what she's doing in theory is not bad. She right. is trying to unify the Earth Kingdom because it's in complete disarray after the death of the Earth Queen. Makes right. sense. Right. It's the way she's doing it that's wrong. She is right. literally forcing states to basically join her version of the Earth Kingdom. The, mm -hmm. um, what is it? Oh my God. The uh, United Empire? I think yeah. Earth Empire? Earth Empire. Um, and so, and by not doing that, she's basically sending them to concentration camps. I'm like, Jesus, Kavira. Like, oh my god. Uh, I, don't, so I, I don't know. I don't know. All I see oh all I see is a strong, independent woman bringing peace, freedom, justice, and security to her new empire. Security to her new empire. <laughs> Your new empire. <laughs> Literally, that's the conversation her and Sue have. Like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see a problem with any of this. Anyway. Um, oh, boy. So... Um, we also get to see what I love. I kind of I love and hate it at the same time, which is the age up on um, other characters like uh, Tencent's kids. We mm. see Milo the boy is now Milo the man. <laughs> just that. hair. That's the only difference. It feels so weird it. seeing him with hair. Like that's me after I don't shave for five days. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. No, I love it. I love Milo with hair. Just like it reminded me so much of when Aang was, right. you know, he got his, not got his hair, but you know, his hair grew yeah. out in season three and we're all just like, what? I never even thought about what he would look like with hair. But <laughs> like, like, did they, did they, just... did they all like lose their razors or something? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I hate well, Janor I mean... having her hair back. Oh, I know. Me too. Like that was, I mean, I even said at the end of, you know, our season three, uh, finale that i absolutely loved when it was revealed that she shaved her head and she looked just like ang and it was so emotional she's wearing like the ceremonial garb mm -hmm. i'm like wow that is so amazing i hope they keep her look like that nope <laughs> literally three years later grew back her hair and it doesn't even look good i'm like ugh, just why can't she just be bald like bald women exist guys right <laughs> like, nothing to be head. ashamed of well, exactly. it, well, because they, um, it was just kind of pointless for them to introduce it at the at the end of season three as the big reveal in the finale at the very, very end in the epilogue, and then not follow through, because it's like symbolic of her move, and then we immediately, as soon as we're excited for this new look, they just backpedal on it, and we're like, yeah, she grew mm -hmm. her hair back. It's like, well, what was the point of her shaving it in the first place? Yeah, I know that, like, a lot of the air uh, bending nomads, the the women, like they like Yang Chen, for example, she's the only like major woman airbender that we ever saw in Avatar, and like she had her hair, but like come on, it's, it's okay, 2014. okay, but, okay, like, but wait, but wait, hang on a second. Uh, wait, who are you talking about? Yang Chen, she was the airbending avatar before Aang. Her head wasn't Remember, shaved. She, she spoke, 
No. I mean, like, it was, like she had hair. It was just shaved to where you could see the arrow. But yeah, she she had hair. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had to like, like I had to think about that because in my brain as I was thinking about it, I thought her head was shaved. No, no. It's like half shaved. Like it's it's, it's shaved like back, like this section. Yeah, is... like like she's got most of her <laughs> she's got bangs. No. She's got like most of her forehead shown so that she could like, you know, show off the, the arrow. Gotcha. But uh, she does have long hair that's all tied up in the back. Um, uh, but again, okay. it's like why not just keep it like once you get your arrows, I feel like you should just shave your head, whether regardless if you're a boy or a girl. Um, yeah, totally agree. But, uh, that's just me. <laughs> I mean, I I totally I totally agree, a hundred percent. You speaking as someone. That I mean, that. you know, I'm just saying, like it feels great, it's smooth, and plus it's air. It's like this is no wind resistance when you're flying. Mm -hmm. Not not that I fly, <laughs> but you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's great. That was yeah, that was it was kind of a dial back, but you know what? The only character we haven't discussed yet, and I feel like it will be a better discussion for the next episode, uh, is Cora, because the next episode mm -hmm. deals entirely with what she's been up to in the last three years. Um but, you know, but just speaking to everything in this episode after all these years, which <laughs> I love that moment when Asami says it and <laughs> <laughs> at the start of the episode and it'll be great to see her after all these years and i'm just have a leonardo DiCaprio me moment <laughs> she said the title you have so many of those moments <laughs> I, yeah well they do it a lot you know there's a ton of mm -hmm. references um yes. oh yeah Asami. i always think of <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, i always think of like i know that you think of the leo uh pointing meme i always think of the uh ha, he said it from family guy <laughs> like, <laughs> yes sitting in the theater ha, he said it <laughs> um but you know asami also like pl please just answer for me now is asami going to be as basically useless in season four as she was in season three uh <laughs> I mean, if if it's going to spoil anything, then don't say anything. Just plead the fifth. But like, well, here's the thing. Like, I feel like Asami kind of peaked as a character and her relevance in season one, which is yeah. very sad. But <laughs> I think that she's given more. I feel like in season three, she was given more action, like you know, fixing the the uh, air blimp and right. you know, saving Korra and all that. Like. But in this, it's more of an emotional arc that she goes through. And it's okay. actually done very well. Okay. It's right. very fleeting. It's not a huge like part of the story, but it is there. And I really do like it. Um, but it comes a bit later. Which, by the way, one final note on this. are Is she and Mako not together? Because I don't recall them ever <laughs> breaking up. And but when then when she no. sees him at the start of the episode, it's been three years. And she's like, oh, good to see you. And I'm like, wait a minute. When did you guys break up? I don't recall you guys ever having a breakup. Ever. Yeah. No, they were together. I mean, they Were they? <laughs> they definitely weren't during season three. Well, they weren't physically they were, together in like one long traumatic way. Let's so, be honest. They're so, teenagers. But that's all they were doing. <laughs> so there's no Mako and Asami arc. Okay, so I can scratch that out. No, right along with my, Throw that in the trash next to my Kai and Janora. <laughs> got it. Got Killing it. all your ships. <laughs> yeah, my ships are sinking. <laughs> Faster than the Titanic. Too soon. <laughs> that was so terrible. So bad. I've been watching.
watching a lot of Titanic videos recently. It's on my mind. Maybe <laughs> you're gonna get us canceled. <laughs> <laughs> this episode has more explicit content than any of the other ones combined. Oh my god! I was gonna say that they're sinking faster than. Well, now I can't remember. Oh, they're sink <laughs> they're sinking faster than General Iroh's fleet. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> that one works too. A little more in universe. Yeah. No, oh, man. man, that takes me. Yeah, where is that guy anyway? Is he dead? <laughs> No, he's literally, okay, this has always been a, such a weird thing, because, like, he shows up at the end of season one, and, like, has a couple cool scenes and mm -hmm, cool action and mm -hmm. all that, then he shows up in one scene in season two at the very beginning, and then I don't think we no, see no, him no. again. He, he's at the very end of season two, because his fleet is in the harbor when uh, uh, Una, Unavatu appears, and he's like, fire! Oh, right, and right, I right. joked it would have been okay, great yeah. if they all shot him, and he just instantly <laughs> fell over and died. That's right. Okay, so sorry. He was in that one scene. And then I don't think we see him again. And he doesn't have any more speaking lines. Just like, I, and I don't think we actually see him again until like the finale of this season. Oh, thank God. Show. Okay, so, he's like, coming back. Okay, he's just great. kind of a non-character at this point. <laughs> Man. He's gonna he's he's gonna show up with like all of Cabbage Core. It was like the new the <laughs> new dominant force in the Avatar world. Hey, they're they're in the Earth Kingdom, and Cabbage Core is in the Earth Kingdom, isn't it? Yes, yes. The the well, I mean, most of the well, actually, no, it's not. Well, Earth Kingdom, but it's in Republic City, so like it is, but it isn't because Republic City. City <laughs> yes, no, but also yes. <laughs> yes, well, yes, but actually no. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but like in the yeah, Avatar, I, wasn't it when they were in the Earth Kingdom that they kept running into the Cabbage Man? Yeah, yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, okay, that's and what I Mashu, thought. And then it was Bossing Say, <laughs> just everywhere. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, and I think. I can't remember if we mentioned this uh, previously, but I think you might have that the actual original actor for the Cabbage Man is reprising his role in the live action Netflix series. Yes, that made my that. whole year. That made uh, that made this entire like that made the all this past year and the pandemic and everything worth it. The whole worth last it. three years have been all worth it just to know Cabbage Man's coming back. Honestly, I was sure that they were going to cut it because it's just a gag, you know, like they didn't. It has yeah. no bearing on the plot at Absolutely all. Absolutely not. A, <laughs> yeah, be like, if they don't, if they cut him or Foaming Mouth Man, I would be so sad. <laughs> if they cut Cabbage Man, if they had left out Cabbage Man, I would riot. <laughs> justice for Cabbage Man. Justice, hashtag justice for Cabbage Man. The, mm -hmm. his whole corporation collapsed and they can't even put him in the Netflix show? That would have been terrible. No. Hats off to you, Netflix. Good job. You honored his memory and his legacy. Um, yeah, no, it's a great episode. And again, I think the IMDb rating is a bit uh, um, a bit, a bit slim on it. I mean, because honestly, this episode for me is a solid 9 out of 10. Like, I'm so revved up for the possibilities. I love what they've done with the characters. <laughs> Except for Janora's hair. And, like, <laughs> I, I think it's great. I think it's a 9 out of 10. Nice. Um, you gotta be honest. I love, like I said, this is my favorite of the opening episodes of season, or of any season of Legend of Korra. So, I think I'm gonna have to go a full point above what the IMDb rating is and give Whoa. it a 9.5. Yo! Like, yeah. I, I really like this episode. I think that it, it's so great with all the character work. Um, I love the introduction of the new characters like mm -hmm. Wu and Kavira. Um, I like that 
like like with season two into season three, I like that the events of season three affect season four. Like it's so nice to have that kind of flow into each other. Um, and of course the time jump is just such a great idea. And I'm so glad they did it. Um, cause it's risky, you know, doing a giant time jump. Like there's a lot of ground you got to cover, but I think that they covered it very well, like mm-hmm. as much as they could. Um, and so, yeah, I really like this episode 9.5 out of 10 for me. Wow. Super impressive. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised mm-hmm. at you, but like, I, again, like you said, high marks and there's tons of stuff to love about it. So good stuff. Well, this brings us to episode two, Cora alone. Hmm. Very, very familiar. I, I wonder what this reminds me of. Eh, eh, couldn't be. Gosh. I'll probably think of it later. Couldn't be that. Uh, written by Michael Dante DiMartino. Directed by <laughs> Ian. Gr- <laughs> I don't know. Sure, I was think. I was just thinking about something else. Uh, directed by oh, sure. Ian- directed by Ian Cram. And animated by Studio Mir. Uh, real quick check on myself. Backing up to the mm-hmm. director, uh, have we has Ian Graham been in the rotation, or are I just not remembering? Um, yeah. yeah, he's been. I think he's done most of Michael Dante DiMartino's uh, episodes. Oh yeah, okay. I just, for some reason his name was just skipping my mind. Uh, he was literally well, the alternating it's director also Tim with Hedrick. Like, because Tim Hedrick, is, like he usually is paired with him, isn't he? uh yes the, the, maybe that's why it's throwing me off because the combination from last season is almost always uh joshua hamilton and colin heck and tim hedrick is with ian graham mm-hmm. i guess i'm just used to seeing the different name coupled with them yes right. he, he was the other director uh he was the other director besides colin uh at the helm for season three um right. Core alone aired on October 10th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of this episode is a very impressive 9.2 out of 10. Take us away mm-hmm. with those fun facts, Amanda. All right. So for we got four of them for this one. This is a this is a lot. Hey, for um, season four. The title, <laughs> right. Um, the title of the episode, as you mentioned, is a reference to the second season episode of Avatar The Last Airbender titled Zuko Alone, wherein both Zuko and Korra are getting flashbacks to like traumatic moments in their life previously as they're trying to like be on their own, figure things out. And it's like, wow. Yeah, I it's love like, the it's, parallels. It's like being in your 30s. <laughs> exactly. Or 25, you know, <laughs> like 25 to 30. That's like a really weird time. Yeah, the traumatic flashbacks is your. <laughs> that part, especially. Middle school. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally. Um, but also, not this wasn't in the fun fact, but this is just me jumping off of this fun fact. There also is a comic, an Avatar comic called Suki Alone which focuses on Suki in the time when she was at the boiling rock. Do you remember? Like, yes. Yeah. And she like is learning the, um, I was going to say the Tai Chi, the uh, Chi blocking, like, cause remember she was able to Chi block after right. being spending time in prison. And we see her struggling with learning that. Mm-hmm. And like just the time that she spent waiting for Sokka to come get her. Like it's, I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I love Suki. Like I've made a note secret i'm a huge suki stand so like i do need to pick it up i just don't know where to find it but yeah so it's another it's just like a running title and i really like that it like it kind of ties them together while they're all separate stories like i love that i, I want i want an episode that's just called asami alone 
and it's just her like <laughs> give her something it's please. just it's just 30 minutes of her like binge eating chocolates going shopping and like watching soap operas <laughs> yes honestly that'd be very relatable <laughs> right? um, just napping yes yes and looking fabulous while doing it of course um so our second fun fact is originally Aang's wall of avatar photos depicted him in a much more stoic manner, more in line with how he had been depicted in previous episodes of Legend of Korra. The production crew later changed the photo to be more lighthearted in nature, wanting to capture some of the same spirit that Aang had in the original series. Excellent choice, guys. Yes. Oh, my God. I would have been so mad. <laughs> I told you, I don't really like the way that they depicted Aang in the flashbacks in season one. It's just, it's not my Aang. <laughs> Hashtag not my Aang. <laughs> um, but like in this one picture, they captured more of Aang's personality than they did in all those flashbacks. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm just like, bravo, excellent choice. No notes. Like the yep. picture itself is so funny. <laughs> I laugh every time I see that dorky grin and like him doing the air trick. Now check this out. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. That's my Aang. Yeah. 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 If Aang being depicted as being too stoic, too like serious, I feel like they had just kind of molded the character of Aang into what they way back in season one kind of wanted as a much more serious, much more adult tone mm -hmm. for the series, which of course we figured out by season three was not working. Like you can have serious stuff <laughs> and thing have things be fun and silly and adventurous. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that they made that choice. Yeah, for sure. Um, our third fun fact is when writing Cora's storyline of dealing with her physical and mental trauma, DiMartino kept in mind that the stories he had heard from fans expressing how Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra had helped them through damaging personal, well, personal events. This is a really long one, sorry. Like illness, bereavement, etc. DiMartino wanted to honor those fans and their experiences in the episode. I really love that because like yeah, I I remember in the spirits, it's the documentary made about the making of Avatar. Um, like you can see that they go to these conventions and fans will be telling them, you know, your show changed my life. It helps me through like a super dark depression spell that I had, or like, you know, just little things like that. You mm -hmm. know, Iroh's wisdom lives with me every day. And like I love seeing that like like creators know how much of an impact their work makes on people and then like kind of gives back to that, you know, and is super, I think that they were super um, respectful of the trauma and the toll that is, that Cora has taken, you know, like, I think that the way that they depict the trauma, and we'll get more into it obviously, because that's the bulk of this episode. But like, I do love that, like, that's where it all came from. It's just like hearing the stories of the fans of Avatar and uh, kind of honoring that. Yeah, that's great because, you know, things like shows or books or movies, you know, these things have an impact. They build who we are as people. They provide us an emotional foundation. You know, you hear a lot uh, in the writing community about uh, comfort characters and, you know, when you get mm -hmm. deep into the fandoms and, you know, these things, I mean, I remember as a kid having, you know, TV shows and characters and things like that that you know admittedly probably in hindsight also helped me through tough times um mm -hmm. and i mean I, I think a lot of the reason why we look upon so many shows um or books or anything with sometimes very very impassioned like very fervent sort of defensiveness protectiveness of these things is because of what they mean to us whether we're able to recognize them or not yeah for sure i mean for myself 
one of the big ones I think for me was probably Teen Titans in all honesty because mm-hmm. that like aired oh gosh I need to remind myself like when the original Teen Titans was to really pinpoint like how old I would have been at the time 1997 1997 no <laughs> um the show aired in 2003 it was 2003 to 2006 oh damn so I would have I would have been Seventeen? No. Wait, let me think about this for a second. Two thousand and one. Trying to remember how old I was. Yeah, so yeah, seventeen. I would have been seventeen to twenty. So like, yeah, wow. those were all the years following. Like, I, that was a year after my dad passed away. And and Aww. so, like in hindsight, for me, like. This is a lucid moment. I actually hadn't even thought of it about this, but that show probably like was a huge emotional support there in mm-hmm. in my media intake. The comfort characters of of Robin and Starfire, Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Raven, and the the family group mm-hmm. that they were, the way they resolved their conflicts, and were always friends at the end. Like it was great. Yeah, probably in hindsight, that was probably a huge thing for me uh in those those very vulnerable teenage years yeah like i mean this was like i was in high school when this was coming out so it was very similar like i wasn't as old as you but like i was middle of high school when uh you know cora was coming out and so it Mm -hmm. was just just the right time for me as well and that's probably why you know i have such a huge nostalgic attachment to it and avatar because i was younger when avatar came out um but uh yeah it's when you find those shows or books or, you know, movies that you just latch on to, whether it's because you're going through a rough time or it's just something that you just like, it's, I don't know. There's a bunch of reasons why people latch on to entertainment, but you know, even you see past all the flaws because it's just like your comfort thing and that there's nothing wrong with that. Well, well, and because, you know, I think a big thing about it, and I feel like this point is worth lingering on because it's such a, very important and really really good fun fact Mm -hmm. is you know i think it's one thing that's lacking in a lot of modern entertainment where there's an awful lot of cynicism about the way the direction that a lot of film studios and things have taken the directions that they've gone with what movies are aimed at these days and i think it's because there's this thought process out there and i'm not saying it's objectively right or wrong i'm just saying i think it's the reason for a lot of cynicism Mm -hmm. is that a lot of studios are looking at their current productions and saying oh let's create something that people can relate to in real life let's create something that illustrates something in real life let's put something out there that really starkly sends a message that people are dealing with in real life and there's so much trying to be relevant to real world issues that I feel like there has been a huge departure that I personally dislike from just playing good old escapism. Things can be relevant and they can teach lessons without being so on the nose. When you go and you want to be entertained, it's so that you can get away from your life. It's so that you can escape and, and, and get lost in the entertainment. And you're not being reminded all the time of whatever it is you're dealing with, of, you know, things. And I feel like that departure from the escapism in entertainment is the reason why a lot of people are looking sideways at a lot of things that come out now going, 
Okay, what part of real life are you trying to address? Because we just don't trust entertainment to provide us the escapism that we loved so much to be able to just switch everything off and get lost in an amazing show and an amazing story. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I I completely agree. I don't like when when like obviously there are exceptions, but generally, especially nowadays, sure. because you're right, um, I feel like studios are trying so hard to tap into like, oh, trauma and you know ptsd and panic attacks and like all these like really heavy subjects that a lot of people deal with anxiety um and like i don't know and obviously that's what this episode does too but this was before this became like the norm so this was like this was very you know this is 2014 right. we didn't address that kind of stuff like that in cartoons back then now it's just everywhere right. you know right um and it's not that it's done bad it's just because we see it everywhere it just kind of loses a little bit of that you know impact but yeah when this first came out like this was this was very shocking for us because we we're like wow they're actually detailing like the trauma that these characters have well specifically cora go through when they fight these villains and when they, you know, lose these battles and the toll that it takes on them physically, mentally, like we never really discussed that with like Aang and, you know, when he, for instance, when he got shot with lightning and died, literally. Ah, kids, we, the kids are resilient. They don't remember that stuff when they're adults. Like, Aang yeah, is an adult. Hey, remember that time where you got shot by lightning? Dude's like, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Yeah. Like he gets healed by Katara and then he has a couple healing sessions and that's it. Like, that kid would be scarred for life, not just physically, but mentally too. <laughs> like, he died. So yeah. Uh, but we just, there wasn't time for that, but I like that they really did take time to address Cora's trauma and PTSD after dealing with so much of what she had to deal with for the past, you know, couple of years. Mm -hmm. And right. uh, yeah, so we'll get more into it. Cause that was a really long, we still have one more fun, but <laughs> I swear this is yes. fun. Um, yeah, that wasn't that was more of a deep fact. Um, but this, this <laughs> is a, fact. <laughs> a deep fact. Um, our fourth and final fun fact is that Cora alone was the winner for best television episode in IGN's best of 2014 for television. So like now that is a fun fact. That is awesome. Yeah, out of all of the episodes that you know aired that year that were nominated, they felt that Cora alone was the best out of all of them. And I gotta agree with them. <laughs> I don't even know what the other ones were, but <laughs> <laughs> like yeah it, it truly is deserving of that i feel like um but uh yeah so that's the rest of the fun facts so i guess we can I mean, go ahead and get into it and i feel like in a way we have kind of already gotten into it because i mean the fun facts are related to so many of the big events in the episode but the episode mm -hmm. itself doesn't have an awful lot of like in deep twists and turns as it mostly just brings us up to speed with where Cora currently is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we run into her at the very, very end of the last episode, she's there in that, that uh, you know, cage fighting match in the Earth Kingdom. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the first like 10 minutes of this episode basically just brings us through how did Cora get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see we see her healing process. We see her. I love, I love where Bolin is like. I I miss you already because I'm going to be your pen pal. And here's your first letter, and just hands it to her, and he's, he gives her a big hug. And then later on, she's reading, and there's like hundreds of letters from Bolin, who's like writing her every single day. <laughs> they're not even actual letters; they're just drawings. <laughs> like I love that that it's like these super eloquent like speeches that he's giving, and it turns out it's just like these crude drawings, like a kid would have done. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and that's actually speaking of letters. 
I didn't even realize I've seen this episode probably more times than any other episode in this show. Um, and I don't think I ever realized just how much letter writing there is. Like there's a lot of back and forth letters that are like monologued over, over right. like, you know, these montages of her traveling or, you know, running from this, you know, mm -hmm. avatar spirit. And like, it's not a bad thing. It's just something I know. So I was like, wow, like I'd say about 60% of this episode is just reading letters, which I mean, it really weird. is. Yeah. yeah. And, it's not that they're bad letters like they they do inform um the characters and Cora's progress and like keeping up like keeping her up to date with her friends and all that so they're not just you know meaningless fluff but uh there is a lot of it <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah and it's really good because i feel like what it what the episode does because that's the thing when i say that like this episode the the actual story arc of this episode is very small it is it is Cora healing and working through the things with Katara. And then it's her getting well enough to leave, deciding not to go back to Republic city, meditating in the spirit world. And then going to the swamp. And like, that's mm -hmm. it. Like that, that, that's really all it is. The sequences in it take so long to resolve. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. They are given adequate, ample time to show the details and the lingering, you know, thoughts and feelings and the development of the character um, in order to take us from one place to the other. But again, there's not a lot of ins and outs to the episode. Everywhere she's turning, she's being haunted by this avatar spirit who is super creepy. Yes. Oh my God. I love, like, they didn't have to do that. Like, they didn't have to have this literal manifestation of her avatar self, like, literally stalking her everywhere she goes. But I love that they did that. It is so crazy. She's looking. She's looking like Samara crawling out of the well. <laughs> yes, the way she moves so jerkily and like just is hunched over and like dark With and arms slack yes, at her sides like, and the yes. hair all weird and like it wild is very looking. Japanese horror and I love it. Um, very unnerving and the fact that she has the chain that you know Cora was tied up with and yes. that she uses and her, it against and her Cora. eyes. Her eyes are whited out with yeah, the glow of the Avatar the, spirit. Yeah. This dead it's, expression. It is so cool. <sighs> and just since we're talking about it, um, honestly, one of my favorite moments, like there's there's so many favorite moments in this episode, but one of my favorites is when Korra's in the cage fight and she's fighting just a normal earthbender, but the way she's perceiving it, it is the Avatar spirit that like lured her there. And so, you know, she's she's dodging all these attacks that she thinks are coming from this spirit version of herself. In reality, it's just another earthbender. Um, and when we see it from Cora's point of view, I don't know if you noticed, it's very subtle, but the sound of the crowd and the crowd themselves are blacked out. Like we don't, we just see Cora and this spirit. Like there's nothing else, even though the ring is obviously mm -hmm. full of people. Um, and then when she kind of gets defeated and she passes out or whatever, it returns back to the way it's supposed to be. You know, we see the earthbender, we right. see the crowd and it's just so cool. We really get into Cora's headspace of like, this is all she sees. This is all she like, you know, this is all she feels is this spirit haunting her basically. Um, and obviously, like I said, the physical manifestation of her trauma. And that's such a cool idea. Like I wish, I know that there are versions of that, you know, like one of the ones that immediately popped into my mind. One of my favorite horror movies is the Babadook where the main character, this mother's per, uh, depression is personified into this monster, like literal monster. And it's such a cool idea. I love it. 
it's very horror-esque and um you know i love meme some horror so i love the addition of this core evil core spirit yeah i mean the fact that it's used so effectively to represent you know her trauma and literally everything that she's afraid of inside of herself is uh is is great it, it's so effective as a story uh story element as as a um you know is this real or is it an illusion well in a way it's kind of both because, <laughs> well, yes, but actually, you know, no. <laughs> yeah she's she's hallucinating it but the reason why she's hallucinating something is because it is something that is just as real as the things in front of her which mm -hmm. is the trauma she's experiencing like you said it's it's such an incredibly deep um subject that they're tapping into here without making it something that's very very preachy or like too on the on the nose mm -hmm. they're just using a very clever very telling very dense storytelling element by just projecting this other version of herself and it isn't like this cliche like oh it's your dark side that you're fighting against array you know right. it's 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 <laughs> it's just her facing down all her trauma by showing herself in the way she hated herself most to be mm -hmm. exactly yeah it's it's really effectively done although <laughs> like it makes sense in the uh, cage fight because she actually is fighting a different person um, mm -hmm. but in the actual swamp, you know, towards the end of the episode that I cannot explain, <laughs> like this girl's getting thrown around like crazy and there's not really an explanation. I don't need one. Like it's just spirit magic, whatever. But like, <laughs> so it's like, um, how is this well, actually like well, real? Well, like, he, kind of well here's, here, here is what I think. I think it literally is a blurred line and here is where I will and when we touched on this, you may remember that I called like, nah, this, that's stupid. That's dumb. And then you were like, no, I think it makes sense. Well, let me turn this right back on you here is what I think is a possible explanation. Cause I thought mm -hmm. about this. Remember when core was in the spirit world and whatever way she was emotionally affected the world around her. Right. Well, the line between the spirit world and the physical world kind of doesn't exist anymore. We're, we yeah. get some elements of the spirit world back in there. And so I think that Korra's broken emotional and mental state is manifesting this as something that is real. It's real enough. And here is my clue as to why I think it's, it's something projected in the, in the through the spirit world. Her connection to the spirit world is the avatar is because the little puppy who revealed himself to be a spirit who showed her in, he could mm. see her and he reacted to her. Yeah, that was that, is, that moment. Like, even though I've seen the episode a million times, that moment always gives me the chills. Like, you can see her yeah. too. It's like, oh, shit. Like, again, yeah. it messes with your head. You're like, is this actually happening? Or is this really all just in her head? And maybe... And is this the real life? <laughs> is this <laughs> just fantasy? fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> she literally did get caught in a landslide. She um, really did. Yes, she got her ass handed to her by herself. Um, I love the image in that fight of, you know, she's like trying to get away. She's climbing these trees, holding onto these vines. And yes. the dark spirit, she wraps the chain, just like what she did with Zaheer. She wraps the chain around her leg and literally starts to sink into the metallic, you know, quicks, not quicksilver, um, what's yeah, it called? Silver. Mercury. Yeah, the mercury. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just such a cool image. And then, you know, Cora gets pulled into it herself and then she wakes up underground and it's like, how'd that happen? Who cares? It's spirit magic. Like, <laughs> don't question it. 
Avatar magic doesn't work like that, Sokka. <laughs> it's more well, like, <laughs> And you know, and one more thing regarding her healing, what I think is important, and I'm going to put on my, my Uncle Todd hat again here. Yes, of course. <laughs> for, for our affectionate listeners who refer to I still love it. <laughs> the Uncle Todd wisdom. I think one of the most valuable things, even though... It, you might play this off as being cliche, but it's 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 relevant. It's true. It's always been true. It will always be true about the healing process. Um, no matter what kind of healing it is, is the advice that Katara keeps giving to Korra, which is that you need to visualize. If you can't visualize, if you can't see where you want to be, whatever that means for yourself emotionally, for yourself overcoming a physical hardship, for finding a purpose in life or thinking about the life that you want and striving for a goal, whatever it is, you need to be able to visualize it. You need to be able to see yourself on the other side of the difficulty or the hesitation or the fear or the obstacle or whatever it is that's holding you back. You need to be able to see yourself. If I had what I wanted, if I've achieved my goal, what would I be like? What would I look like? What kind of person would I be? How would I act? How would I be doing? Where would I be? And who would I be surrounded with? And what that does is it gives you the ability to look at everything around yourself and yourself the way that you see yourself and go, okay, now what do I need to do to get there? Can I be that person right now? Whatever it is. In her case, she's needing it in order to visualize her goal, to focus on success instead of feeling the difficulty and the fear of failure visualization is so important i'm glad that katara showed her expertise as a healer not just with her water bending but with her words for sure yeah so basically what you're saying is you advocate for manifesting and vision boards <laughs> yeah i actually do i actually yeah. really do you know yeah. One of the ways I, I think that I grew up, because, you know, and we touched recently about, you know, I didn't have my dad in my teenage years, a lot of the big part of it was I needed to think about the kind of person that I wanted to be, because I didn't really have a, a father there to guide me, and a lot of my building up myself was to look and go, when I'm 20 years old, who do I want to be? When I'm 25 years old, who do I want to be? What does the man I want to become look like? Right. And then taking the steps to become that person. And there were so many things that I could have held myself back on that instead I went, you know what? There's no reason I can't start doing those things that I'll, I see in myself right now. Right. Nothing holding me back. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, <clears throat> yeah, like you said, visualizing what you want to be, who you want to be, where you want to be, like all the who, what, when, where's, um, is super important when, especially when you're younger, you know, around Cora's age. Yeah. Um, and when you're going through really heavy stuff like that, like it's, it can be life-saving, honestly. Um, and throw but, yourself a bone. I mean, you've been through a lot of things pursuing your goals over the last few years, like places that you've gone, you've moved a bunch of times, you have yeah. your sights set on, <laughs> you have your sights set on living on the Southern hemisphere on the other side of the world. I mean, talk about somebody who can visualize. Yep. I literally on my bucket list for life, I've got a lot of things that I want to do. And living abroad was one of those things. Like I've always wanted to live in a, you know, very far off country. I'm moving to Australia in September. Um, and so like 
yeah. And I just, I found a way to make it happen <laughs> where I could swing it. You know, I'm a poor broke, poor and broke are the same thing. I'm a broke ass, you know, 25 year old, um, you know, staying at my parents' house right now until I move. And I managed to find a job and, you know, a place to stay in Australia. And just cause I wanted it and I went after it. <laughs> like, right. That's what you got to do. If you want things to happen, you can't just wait around. You got to take action, be uh, yeah. proactive as my dad would say. Yeah, no. And that's great. And that's the whole point. Like anybody can look and choose a direction and they just start blindly going in that direction, but to have a destination in mind, then it becomes at least easier to say, I need to head in this direction because I know it's going to take me to the, de the destination, not I'm just going to go this way because it looks good right now and we'll see where it takes me. Like there's so much to be said for being able to know what you're hoping to find and be able to, to strive for it. So, yeah, for sure. Um, there was one, well, actually there were two scenes real quick that we haven't really touched on. Um, I just wanted to mention, cause I really love them. The first being, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, give your honorable mentions. I mean, you clearly love this episode a lot. I do. I'd love this episode. Um, the first is the scene between <clears throat> Cora and Senna, her mother, um, because Cora, she's woken up in the middle of the night. She can't sleep. She hasn't been able to sleep for a long time. And she's just sitting out on the balcony in her wheelchair by herself. And her mom comes out. And they have this beautiful, it's so simple, so short. But, like, it's this beautiful little mother-daughter moment. Um, and, you know, she basically, her mom begs her to go see Katara to get some physical healing done um, for her legs and all that. And, you know, you can just tell just by the animation alone, which is beautifully done in this scene, that Cora is like, she even says later, like she's just tired. Like she looks so beaten up and beaten down. And like, you know, it's, it's really hard to see her like that. But like, again, it's important to, to, to talk about and show that kind of stuff um, after all she's been through. And I really love that scene. The voice acting is incredible. Animation's beautiful. Um, and then the second is the scene between Korra and the, I think it's the first scene between Korra and Katara when she does go to get healed for the first time and she blows up at Katara, which mm -hmm. like, again, that's really rough to see because Katara is just trying to help her. She's being nothing but patient and kind as Katara mm -hmm. is. Um, and Korra blows up at her and it's very understandable and heartbreaking because like when you're put in a position like that, where you feel so helpless and like, you know, you've stripped, you've been stripped away of all of your anatomy. Is that the right word? Anatomy? Or am I saying anatomy? What? <laughs> uh, autonomy. Autonomy. There we go. Why are words so hard? English guys. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, yes. Autonomy. There we go. And like, you just, you feel so useless and, I love that she expressed all of that to Katara, like obviously very frustrated, but um, it's very understandable. And she immediately regrets it. Like, it's not one of those, like she just lets it linger, like her anger, like, no, she feels so bad after doing that. And mm -hmm. Katara is just completely understanding because she's the best. And like, she just yes. understands that like, well, she's in a very well, dark place. Well, she also has, again, like I said, uh, she doesn't just show the spiritual and bending expertise of a healer, but shows that maturity and that strength and provides the right words because she understands if, if Cora, if Katara had re responded to Cora in any other way than the way she did, I'd be like, that's not much of a healer's mentality. 
you know, as a healer, she's expecting people to be in pain, to be frustrated. And it's something that she's dealt with her entire life that she's been healing people for somebody to use her, to lash out at her because they're frustrated because she's the only person there overseeing their healing. Mm -hmm. She knows exactly how to handle it. She even encourages her to let the anger and frustration flow Mm -hmm. out like water. Let it flow through you. (laughs) (laughs) Use your aggressive feelings, girl. Yes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's great. Like it's, and I love that it shows like just this whole season in general, but you know, this episode in particular, it shows that progression of healing from trauma is not linear. Like, yeah. yeah, uh, I was going to say Katara. Cora mentioned. You're like me now you're doing. I know you, you've done that so many times. Um, Cora, she physically gets better. She's able to walk again. She's even like running around. She's doing sparring matches, but mentally she is still very much broken and she's still very much traumatized and that affects her and her fighting abilities and her just ability to live. Um, right. cause she's in fear constantly. And so it's, I love that they show that. And even as the season progresses, we still see that even after she supposedly fixes herself and she like gets over this trauma, it's not, she hasn't like, it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. still with her. It just has been, you know, I guess, mm-hmm. um, what's the word I'm looking for? Lessened. That's not the right it's, word. Like yeah. she's, I mean, she's come to it's, terms it's, it's, with it's just, it. Yeah. It's still lingering, but she, she's, she's, she's dealing with it. So. Right. It doesn't like control her life. Like it does in these first couple episodes. Um, It's interesting. And I think we'll have more to say as the season goes along, but the thing about trauma in my last uncle Todd moment is uh, something I read recently about healing. And it's, uh, it's very, very true, which is healing is about accepting, not forgetting. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, accepting that the thing happened and then moving on from it and not lingering right. on it. Right, right. Um, the, the the goal isn't to go back and to delete it as if it hasn't happened and go back to the way things were before it happened. It's not, that's not the way you heal. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. Hard pill to swallow, but the only thing that's harder than that pill is tough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and he had to make sure. I mean, it's only very brief, but he winds up in the swamp, and after her whole traumatic fight against the dark, uh, her her actual the actual dark avatar, mm-hmm. uh, she winds up reviving in a in a hut with Yoda. Uh, excuse me, I mean with Toph. <laughs> in Dagobah, I mean the swamp. <laughs> yeah, the swamp. <laughs> yes, and. Um, I mean, it was in the, not in, like, we didn't see Toph in the trailer, but we did see that Korra, you know, meets her, you know, oh my god, Mm -hmm. Toph. And, uh, yeah, and (laughs) let me tell you a story, because Rachel, my sister and I were watching this episode the other day, Mm -hmm. um, and she, (laughs) I have never seen her react to a Legend of Korra episode like this, but she literally burst into tears when Toph was revealed, and, you know, she Mm -hmm. had her line, nice to see you, twinkle toes, like, I'm not even kidding, full-on sobbing like she kept hitting me like it's so sad Aang is dead and I'm like Rachel he's been dead this whole time why are you just now realizing like she knows but it just hits much harder when you have an older character like Toph that was such good friends with him referring to Korra as his you know his little pet name that she gave him and yeah yeah, it just I guess it was too much for her he's dead it's so sad it's so funny. Uh, she's a very emotional girl, but uh, yes, yeah, and it, but her. it's so it's so perfect. It's a perfect reintroduction to Toph, and I gotta say yeah. that 
I cannot for the life of me remember who the voice actress is. I apologize. I don't know the voice actress for Korra as well as I do for Avatar. But um, the voice actress for for older Toph is spot on. Like, I honestly can't think of a better actress to have voiced her. She's just so perfect. Uh, voiced by Kate Higgins and Villains Sampler. I'm assuming that's like the the adult, like adult mom, middle aged Toph yeah. when she's when she's the police commander or whatever, mm. and then uh old toff so yes <laughs> but uh yeah. i mean they both do a great job but old toff especially is just like spot on it's, how it's i imagined felice it's felice sampler so. okay great job um yeah but yeah and everybody collectively lost their shit tumblr exploded like twitter was ablaze like ah <laughs> uh, yes we knew she was Turn coming back, but, back like, in the day yeah we we knew she was coming back obviously because it was in the trailer but like it was still was a huge like oh my god she's really back yeah. like after all this time <laughs> um, top is back and she's ready to rock and crankier than ever <laughs> <laughs> Love that. well well the episode is great again so much so much deep material uh covered there so much commentary on healing and and overcoming trauma and more of that's to come because you know Cora is still struggling with all of this and she will be uh for mm -hmm. still a while yet it sounds like yep for sure but the episode is is a, is amazing i got to i got to throw it out there and say i agree with the imdb rating um i want to give it a 9.2 nice i actually am going to go higher <laughs> i feel like i always go lower but i'm going to go higher with this one this is like I said, probably my most watched individual episode um, right up there. Like, I think my two most watched are Cora Alone and A Voice in the Night, episode four of mm -hmm. season one, which is, you know, when we first truly meet Amon. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I, I probably would give this a 9.8. Like, it is wow. right up there. And the only reason I give it a 9.8 is because, like I said, rewatching it, I realized that a lot of it is just letter writing, reading letters, monologuing. Mm -hmm. But it's not that they're bad. It's just it's a lot of the episode. But when the yeah. episode focuses on the characters and the great fight scenes with the dark avatar and just the whole creepy vibe that the episode gives off, like, I, I love it. I love that. Oh, yeah, you do like that. I do love that. <laughs> and I love that, like I said, the, the idea, the concept of the dark avatar haunting her, it it continues throughout the whole yeah. show. Like it's not just for this one episode. And I love that. So my overall rating would be a 9.8 out of 10. I love this episode. Damn near perfect. Yeah. Definitely one of legend of Korra's best. I mean, look at us, no ratings lower than a nine mm -hmm. among all four of our ratings that we gave to uh, my two and your two for these episodes. So we're, we're in for a ride. I mean, it really feels like we are coming up to the, the absolute apogee of the series right here. Like you said, last half of season three, first half of season four, uh, we're off to a great start. So we'll see where things go from here. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.